Hello there. I hope that as you hear this, you're putting in the work necessary to stay healthy, happy, and prosperous. That's so important, and I know it's not always easy, especially lately, which is why I'm so grateful that you're sharing some of your time with me now. Before we get to the episode, I want to remind you that we really want to hear from you. Your feedback not only makes our podcast better, but allows us to reach more people. So take a second, hit the like button on this episode, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening or watching. And this is the cool part. Send your comments and questions to Price of Pain Podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. I'm going to share and answer them, anonymously if you prefer, on a future episode. In the meantime, if you like what you hear, please, please, please tell your friends and family about us. Together, we can grow the Price of Pain family and get more people in on this conversation. All right, today's guest is Dr. Paul Borsa. He's a certified athletic trainer, and he's a tenured associate professor in the University of Florida College of Health and Human Performance, where he is the director of the Sports Medicine and Human Performance Lab. We also have a history. He was my advisor throughout my PhD. So for today, we have a great conversation about some of his current work in applying cannabidiol, CBD, in research and clinical settings. I hope you enjoy. Let's get to it. Welcome to The Price of Pain, brought to you by the Pain Research and Intervention Center of Excellence at the University of Florida. Let's join host Dr. Joshua Crow in conversations with scientists, healthcare providers, and industry professionals as we delve into the highly subjective experience of pain and the ongoing effort to reveal its influence on our everyday lives. At the end of the day, when you're dealing with an athlete, you know, that, that concept of, okay, well, what hurts and how bad does it hurt is probably what's more important than anything else yeah, as far as... The, the psychological component didn't exist back then. The social component didn't exist back then. It was mainly just biological in nature, and uh, we didn't consider those psychological factors. I mean, we knew they existed, but right. we didn't factor it into any... Of, we didn't factor it into our treatment plan. I, I, was, I always find that kind of interesting. Um, you know, in, in growing up in a, a, a different generation than, than say, some of our, our college students now and, and whatnot, um, you know, the psychological component to pain back then was, you know, suck it up. Exactly. Right? Mind over matter, so-and-so. Oh, well, you know, so-and-so's the sissy, you know. that Yeah, that doesn't hurt that bad. But that's the extent of the psychological influence. Well, well here's right? what I noticed from working with different sports teams. Like, I worked wrestling. Mm-hmm. Wrestlers have total disregard for their body. So right, right. they get hurt and they're just like, get up, you know. So that was easy. Yeah. But then I, I, I spent time with some of the other sports, like, for example, and I'm just, you know, like I worked a little bit with women's gymnastics, and I noticed when one of the gymnasts got hurt, they were very emotional about mm-hmm. it, and the whole team came around them and they huddled and they all cried and they all, and it was this big, I don't want to say party, but this big uh, event. Right. And I'm like, it was an intrapersonal thing, oh is more gosh. than just the. Yeah, I'm yeah. just like, wow. Yeah. I'm go- coming from <laughs> wrestling where get up, rub some dirt on it, you're right, okay, right. to this this event. And uh, well, so that was the extent of like, okay, I see it's different amongst different mm-hmm. teams, athletes. Well, even gender. and even well, there you go. Even on a superficial ish level, you could say, well, you know, it, boys wrestling girls gymnastics or, or men's wrestling, women's gymnastics, however you want to, to parse it out. Um, but you see it, you know, between sports also um, where there's this kind of expectation of that interpersonal, the, the, the societal reaction to, to pain, um, 
you know, so take soccer for example, mm-hmm. or football, however you want to, you know, on a world stage, you know, where where there is such a thing obviously as the flop, flop. Not every <laughs> and not every not every time somebody is rolling around grabbing their ankle, right. are they really as hurt as bad as you know? There's there's another component to that. However, compare that to something like hockey, for example, where you know, yeah, you you, you get into it, you mix it up, and and when the lines change, you go back to the bench and you know get your eyebrows stitched up real and quick before you have to go in. back in. Yeah. There's you know there's no you know timeouts and that's, that's kind of how wrestling was too and, right um also is is that idea that the the sensitivity and the tolerance right so um you know, different athletes have different sensitivities and they have different tolerances mm-hmm. to pain and it was interesting seeing you know how some maybe ultra sensitive but they're very tolerant right, pain, right. you know and, or and or else I've, you know the buffer could be very small right. between the two and um, looking at them in terms of when they were freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, like uh, with, working with wrestling, uh, injury timeout on the mat during a match was 90 seconds. Okay. So if you had to take longer than 90 seconds, you defaulted. I see. Okay. So the freshmen coming in, they're rolling around the mat, screaming, yelling. And I'm like, hey, settle down. We got 90 seconds. Right. It's not like it's not like Karate Kid where you know the guy the guy turns around and bows and you get to go to the locker room exactly. and get the whole you know Mr Miyagi yeah. thing and all that yeah. you, you get it sorted out or go home. Yeah, and, we, and yeah. you know we, there were some freshmen that they would you know, their sensitivity would be down a little bit and uh, you know uh, by the time they were a junior senior you know whether it was a teammate's coaching them or mm-hmm. just getting acclimated mm-hmm. to Division One collegiate ath- athletics that changed a little bit and so. You know that told me it, it can be it can be a, it's adaptable it's plastic they yeah, can change right well and, well not only that you know we, we I, and I can't speak with regard to the the advancement of pain research from that point because at that point I wasn't studying pain yeah um, to the extent that I am now but but it's interesting to see now that that we can actually you know take measurement of those kinds of things you know what when you talk about pain sensitivity, whether it's, you know, a, a, th- a pain threshold at a point where a, a sensation, you know, passes from, yes, I'm aware of it to, yeah, it's maybe uncomfortable, but no, this is pain. You know, it goes from right. pressure to pain or from, you know, heat to pain, that lower threshold of, of where pain starts. And then, you know, in addition to that, and I think just as importantly, like you mentioned earlier, tolerance. So there's some people that have a low threshold and then a high tolerance. So they may be in pain, but they can work through it. You know, they can they can deal with it. Mm-hmm. In in a you know research setting, if you're testing this, yeah, they may say, well, this this starts to hurt now, but you know, you know, I don't need to stop. You know, right. I can I can deal with it. Whereas some people, maybe that that threshold is high, but as soon as they start to feel pain, they're done. They want right. to tap out. Yeah. Um, so it's it's really interesting, I think, from from my perspective, to see that progression of, you know, just kind of anecdotally. Like you said, you know, it's plastic. You learn to toughen up, you know, get thicker skin or whatever. But, you know, fast forward to now, we've got all of these other, these factors that influence those boundaries that, you know, the threshold and the tolerance boundaries that, you know, we didn't consider then. And, and certainly in, in, in applied fields. Right. Um, so I'm curious now, um, you know, if we were to talk to, to athletic trainers yeah. and, and to coaches now, if, if some of that's taken into account more, you know, because we, we do, and, and for example, in Price, we do a lot of research comparing the pain experience between races. Yeah. So, um, you know, race disparity between, say, you know, white males in North America and, and African-American males in North America. Um, so, 
and, and finding you know differences in whether it's socioeconomic status or race, sex. Um, you know, there are all these influences that, and 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 then even more individual when you pass into things like anxiety or depression. Mm-hmm, right. You know, so yeah, it's it's a complex uh, uh, experience, I guess. And th- another thing that I, I I noticed is you know it's f- uh, from a learning process as an athletic trainer early on, I didn't look at the, you have to look at the the caregiver as a placebo. Right. So just them being present kind of soothes the mind. They, they look at the therapist as someone who's going to make me better mm-hmm. and how you can use that to your advantage. Cognitively, you know, your explanations, your uh, your communication, how you express yourself, things like that go a long way. And so let's let's put a pin in that for just a second. Some of our listeners may, you know, when you when you say placebo, they may be thinking, you know, right. the sugar pill, like a right. fake pill, right? Um, but there, but there, there's there's more ways of uh, to right. elicit that placebo effect, whether it's intentional or unintentional, right? So in, in this case, you're talking more about just the 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 healthcare provider, the practitioner, just being there. Yeah. How, how does that placebo means I shall please? So, you know, however you please, you know, that's mm-hmm. that's where it's at. So in this case, it's. Uh, not the idea that you give a sugar pill and you say, oh, this is going to take your headache away or your pain away. Mm-hmm. It's you know, more that expectancy or the conditioning. For example, if, if, an, if an athlete comes in every day to the, to the athletic training room and they get treatment every day, they're going to get conditioned to the fact that when they come in, it's going to, you know, if they are getting better, mm-hmm. just by, me, by virtue of me stepping into this room, I'm, I'm going to feel better leaving. Right. So they get right. conditioned, and that that's kind of silent. That's unconscious. Do you, Do you think that that also maybe you know exists on uh, uh, an emotional and psychological level as sure. well? You know, I, I've noticed in my time, you know, I spent a fair amount of time coaching volleyball, um, and at the high school level, you know, you have your own athletic trainer. As a matter of fact, I've had uh, athletic trainers at some of the uh, the programs that I've mm-hmm. worked in that were students of yours. Yeah. So, um, you know. I, it seems to me, and, and granted, I'm sure there's a, a wide spectrum of how they conduct themselves professionally, but it seems to me in, in all of my experience, athletic trainers, you know, it's kind of like the team mom or the, you know, the team, the team dad where, yeah, you know, it's, you got hurt, you, you know, oh, this is sore or something. Sometimes you have, you know, <laughs> I'll try to get one of my athletes into the, the training room and there's a bunch of people just hanging out there, yeah. you know, because it's it's that kind of setting where you can go and and like you said, you know, when you when you leave, you feel better, but that might not only be a, a, a physical thing either. So I wonder if that maybe plays. Yeah, into I mean, the... it, it can be a a social room, right? You know, right. A lot of stories and information gets passed, but I mean, also you, in, in addition to conditioning, there's that expectancy thing. So mm-hmm. if you can somehow instill in their mind to expect to get better, right. Right. That link between the psychological processes and the physical processes, they're interlinked. They're not separate. There's not, they're not two separate highways. They, they run together. They right. Interact. And, and so the psychology can affect the physiology. So whatever that physiological process is that can induce healing, that can go a long way. So say that, you know, the two of us uh, are in a wrestling match. And uh, somehow we managed to, to injure each other simultaneously. So we, That's we, happened. we go <laughs> so we go, we go to the train and, and let's say it's in practice. All right. So we're on the same team. We go see the same trainer. So 
you know, and this is obviously a hypothetical situation, but, but if, uh, you know, and let's say it's something, um, it's some kind of, you know, joint injury from both of us. We both tweak our elbow somehow. All right. All right. Who knows? But we go into the training room and, you know, I, I know the trainer. I'm familiar with the trainer. Trainers helped me in the past. Athletic trainer. Athletic trainer. I know some people are, uh, are <laughs> sensitive to that. Um, so if, if I go and see the athletic trainer and I've, I've been before, you know, for whatever, same injury, different injury, but whatever it was, the, athlete, the athletic trainer um, helped. And you can just say AT. Okay. All right. Well, we'll say AT. So, so the, uh, the AT, again, this is, this is how things change a little bit because once upon a time when, when that was the only trainer that, that you dealt with, not, and, and the reason why you bring that up is, is to, to differentiate between, say, like a personal trainer, for example, in the right. gym, right? Um, once upon a time, you know, any, anybody in sports says trainer. Well, that's who they're talking about is the athletic trainer. But yeah. Um, so anyway, so you go see the AT. I've seen this AT before. Let's say it's a, a, a she, she's helped me, um, I've recovered from the injury. Everything's fine. You've never been to the, the AT before. If we go in same injury, same time, same trainer, but I know that this person has helped me in the past. So I expect that they're going to be able to get me you know, well again. But you don't. You're resistant to that. You know, this, maybe it's the first injury you've had. Right. You're saying that that could that could potentially, even if we get the same treatment, affect the outcome for both of us differently. Sure. Okay. And and take it a step further. You, the therapist, you get to know your athletes, so you you can titrate how you interact with them, mm. so that you can personalize it. So you know this person needs a little extra TLC, little emotional first aid more than the other right. one, right? So you you can adapt how you interact to per athlete based on your experiences with them. And that's what's so good about the athletic trainer working with the team. Like I knew all the wrestlers and I knew how they were. Mm-hmm. I knew how they reacted to injuries and beyond. And I could I, I knew how to when I when how I approached someone that was injured, you know, how, how I can direct my interactions with them now can that go the other way around you know for example uh you know you're a dad you got your kids are playing in the yard you know and, and it's thanksgiving you know everybody's got their kids around and there's the one kid that falls and their parents are immediately there oh are you okay are you okay and then you know somebody else's kid falls and you know, just yeah they're all right you know conversation doesn't even stop more often than not it seems the kid that falls and everybody kind of crowds around, almost maybe like the gymnastics effect that you were talking about. Um, Those are the ones that, oh, it's a, a, a really a, an event. You know, more crying and, you know, end of the world and they need to be picked up and held and soothed. And the other kid, you know, they might sit there a little stunned for a moment, but then they just get back to doing whatever they're doing, you know, with the knot on their head or whatever it is. And, uh, so could, could that work? You, the... you said that not me, <laughs> but yes, that is... The corollaries are there mm-hmm. between the two situations. Well, and you know, and to be to be fair, um, you know, in my experience, and I'm not I'm not drawing uh, uh, any sex or gender differences to this at all. Just using the the past examples, some some of the, some of the toughest athletes I've seen in, in you know in playing men's volleyball and coaching women's volleyball, um, the athletes that I've coached tend to have been way tougher than the teammates that I've played with, with regard to those things, um, yeah. both physically and psychologically. So that, you know, let me put that footnote on there. 
Um, so nobody, I don't get, I don't need to get hate mail, uh, you know, on this, on this podcast, but, um, but you're saying that, that as, uh, as a practitioner, as an AT, that you could use that to your advantage also in, in understanding, well, okay, this, you know, this person doesn't need the attention, throw a bag of ice on them, yeah. tell them to, you know, elevate and put them over there and leave them be kind of thing. And yeah, and that's, you know, so you got the biological, mm-hmm. the modalities, uh, the physical agents, whatever you use to help. Right. Then you got the psychological, that could be the placebo and other, you know, how you interact with them. Then they got the social, which never, ever considered. Like, and I thought it would get hurt, we put them in a corner or in a room mm-hmm. separate from the team. Mm-hmm. Isolation. Right. No, no. You don't. That's that, a bad thing. That's a bad thing. You okay. want to keep them interacting with the team. Have them out there practice. Have them working with the, the in, in the skull sessions, in the, mm-hmm. you know, in, in when they're looking looking at film, we never considered that, and, and that's shown to be productive in terms of helping them get better because they feel apart. Mm-hmm. You put them in isolation, they feel isolated, they get depressed. That's just going to hinder. So, these things. When I first started learning about the, you know, the biopsychosocial, first I had to fit, you know be able to pronounce yeah, it. Lot, I had to be able to pronounce it first, <laughs> and then break it down yeah. and say what. Well, this mean you know well and i think you know that's a good segue into some of the research that you're doing now um particularly with let's say newer <clears throat> treatments uh and modalities for pain and and maybe some uh some factors that co-variate with pain like anxiety so what what are you working on currently currently is my study well we're, we're looking at uh the, the effect of minor cannabinoids well major cannabinoid uh cannabidiol, CBD, mm-hmm. and it, they know that, that in the past, CBD does have a neuroprotective effect. So you know, when you say neuro, pain falls under that canopy sure. a little bit. So, uh, but they just really don't know what are the mechanisms, how. And uh, pretty much the study that I'm going to conduct now, as soon as I get approval from the FDA to go ahead with the, with the product um, is to, to look at those, that biopsychosocial, well, mainly the biopsycho mm-hmm. part as uh, the biological effects of CBD on pain, transmission, uh, perception, whether it's at the brain, spinal cord, various levels in the body, but also uh, the effects that it could have on mood and personality and uh, those psychological factors that we talked about. So if a person it perceives that injury as less of a threat mm-hmm. to being laid, laid up and having pain, if, if they can approach it with less anxiety, less fear of, hey, I'm gonna, it's going to hurt when I walk, then that's going to help accelerate the recovery process. So you got the biopsycho psycho potentially from one type of an intervention. Right. And... Um, I mean, they've known, they've known that cannabinoids have had a curative effect or some type of medicinal property. Right. Um, but it's been stigmatized for so long, so that they just kind of put it back on the in the back burner. So you're talking about um, using this as a treatment for for injury. When when you have people, are are you going to do a, an observational study for this? You're going to bring people in and, and you know take a bat to their knee or what? How <laughs> what do you what do you, what do you uh, how's well, it, how's it going? Right, how do you how do you do that and control so it? So this goes back to being an athletic trainer and and dealing with athletes, and um, so it's more of a 
athletes, they're practicing every day, you know, the bumps and bruises, they need to recover. And as part of that, it's not just pain per se, but also that recovery process, which involves, you know, the psychological factors as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you wake up and you're sore and how can I, I need to work through it. So if I'm, if I'm less anxious, I can probably work through it a little better. Um, so that's kind of my angle towards this project, but also it's musculoskeletal pain. So okay. it's, it's, mus it's, an, it's trauma to musculoskeletal tissues, connective tissue, muscle. So over the years, I've developed, and it's hard, you can't just go out and take a bat to the knee, like you said. <laughs> so, so I'm sure somebody will have a problem with that, even if the, the participant says it, it's they, okay. They can right? do it in animals, but you can't do it in humans. Um, but what you can do and what I've learned uh, or what I've developed is to use an exercise model where you're going to create some damage to muscle. So it's, it's a type of, of uh, exercise, eccentric exercise, where you're, you're loading the muscle in a way that, that it's inducing a lot of forces within it where you're going to have some micro trauma and it's going to replicate at a low level an injury. You're going to have inflammation. You're going to have pain. You're going to have stiffness, and uh, it's in a controlled environment. So you can you can induce the injury. You can take baseline measures mm -hmm. you can, you know, before injury, which is hard to do if you have a team. You know, hard to measure everybody before they get hurt. Right. Here they come in. You can do baseline measures. You can put them through the, the experimental injury model, mm -hmm. and then you can track their recovery over one day, two day, up to a week or two weeks. And uh, it's, a, it's a really controlled way to do an experiment because you can look at different intervent, different dosages, you know, different treatments, things like that, in a controlled, randomized so not, manner. not to feign ignorance on this, but that's exactly what I'm going to do because I am familiar with this model. But tell, tell our listeners, how, how does that compare, say, you know, when you talk about exercise versus injury and this model? Um, how, how, how would this relate to everyday life? Say somebody going to the gym and, and getting a heavy workout. Is, yeah. it, is it about the same as that? or? Yeah, I mean, eventually you adapt to the heavy. But this is more like the day-to-day the, the -day rigors of a Division One athlete. You, you see it in the, they get interviewed on, on TV or radio or what have you. And a lot of high-profile athletes, they, they're started to take CBD because they feel that it does three main things. One, it helps them recover quicker. They've said that. Mm -hmm. I feel like I, I recover quicker. When you say the, the athletes say that. The athletes yeah. say okay. that. They that um, it, makes, it, it helps them with their quality of sleep. And they feel like they're, you know, mentally they feel less anxious and, and, and it helps them. What's the word? It's a better mood. It puts them right. in a better mood. So right. those three, th so, you know, from me listening to it, I said, okay, uh, how can I replicate that in, in, in a scientific environment? Mm -hmm. Um, to study that. And uh, so that's kind of the model that I, I developed. So how long does, in, in your model, how long does the, the, you know, air quotes, injury last for these participants? When they come in, you, you get your that's, baseline testing and whatnot. What, um, under, say, let's say that there's no, whether it's a control group or there's no treatment or yeah. whatsoever, you, you run them through this, you, you injure them, uh, what what do you expect to find after that? Um, as you, well, how long do you, how far do you monitor them after something like that? Like I said, you could do one day, you could do a week, you could do two weeks. We typically do Monday through Friday type of a thing. Okay. But and, and just like athletes themselves, people are different in terms of how their muscle is going to respond to the exercise. So some people they get crushed. They come in there, oh, you know. <laughs> Others they come in, 
you know, so there's responders and there's non-responders mm -hmm. in between. So we try to use people that aren't typically weight training, so they haven't adapted to the stresses yet. So this novel, unaccustomed e exercise is going to cause more damage to the muscle than a person that's trained. Do you think it'll also, if, if, they, if they haven't experienced this before, like I had, for example, you know, I, I know a number of people that have had ACL tears. You know, it's pretty pretty common athletic injury, unfortunately, uh, at least in, in volleyball. Yeah. Um, I know a number of people with ACL tears. And some people that have, have had multiple ACL reconstructions, you know, their knees are, have been through quite a bit. But the first time, regardless of how many people you know have gone through it, maybe, maybe a teammate, you've watched a teammate go through this, a close friend, but still the first time it happens to you, I would imagine, and this was the case with my knee injury, that, that if it ever happened again, well, you know, there's, there's knowing how long it's been to recover, there's going to be some part of me that's going to go, oh, well, but I know that I am going to that's, recover. That's so, part of the cognitive, the learned experience right. about that. So with, with, with these, you say you kind of want to target participants or recruit participants that, that aren't accustomed to this, this soreness and the exercise and whatnot. Do you think that's going to affect their, well, their we, expectations? Or? We, we, there's a thing called uh, informed consent. So in the, <laughs> in the preparation of it, we tell them you're likely going to have some muscle soreness and stiffness, and, um, and that can be a threat. And so we're looking at that as well. We're looking at the wording of our informed you're consent. You're going to try to scare the bejesus out of <laughs> yes. them. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you have big skull and crossbones right, on the yeah, informed consent. We're trying to figure out a you know, way to do that. But, yeah, we're just seeing if, uh, one, if there is differences in terms of people's perceptions of it, and then potentially if something like CBD or something could lower their threat, or th they look at it as something that's not going to be a, a – the threat's the best word. Right, right, right. Um, and, you know, that's, that's another kind of interesting area that... And so, yeah, and so uh, you're, so far it seems like you're talking more about the, the CBD having an effect on, on mood and behavior and expect, the, the psycho part of this. The, but is there, is there a physical effect that you expect to find also? Or yeah, I mean... It, with regard when, to the when pain? When you read or? the literature in humans, they've done considerable research looking at the psychological... The effects on anxiety, anti-anxiety right. effects, which has, which has, as you said, has an effect on recovery. But, but is there something else that, that I mean? F you mean physically? Physically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it, it. There's pathways, um, not to get into detail, but there's molecular mechanisms and things that happen physiologically that this compound could facilitate or inhibit. So there is, they, 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 they have found anti-inflammatory effects. So in, s in some way, which we don't know, by taking this product, it can somehow uh, modulate the inflammatory response, whether it uh, has an effect on blood vessels or nerves or what have you, they found that it, has a, it does have an anti-inflammatory effect, mainly found in, in animal models, not humans. So... So this is new, this is relatively new stuff. I, I think area. so. I, 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 you know, all the research I've read is always in animal models, because they can you know, hit sure. them, <laughs> whack them with induced inflammation. Yeah. Um, and, the, and and you know the parents aren't calling saying, "Hey, what have you done to my?" Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'm, you know, like I said, I'm interested to, to see. So since this is new, and the last time I checked, you know, there's this ongoing, you know, CBD 
comes from marijuana, right? Or hemp or cannabis. Cannabis. Yeah, cannabis is, is, the, is the appropriate term. But, you know, what, and we can get into, you know, differences, if any, between marijuana and hemp and whatnot in just a moment. But, but at the end of the day, there's a, a legal issue. I mean, it, yeah. I, I, am I correct in saying that, that, that cannabis is still a Schedule One? Narcotic. The, yeah, the DEA, Drug yeah. Enforcement Agency. Okay, yeah. so that's a so. Schedule One, which is the the, the worst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's the the funny top thing of the is, heat. I mean, CBD has the, the research that they've done. Even the CDC, the, the World Health Organization, has shown it and found it to have a, a, a very favorable safety profile. Mm-hmm. Very. What do, you, what, what do you mean by that? As far as it, there's like, side effects are are nil. Okay. Uh, it doesn't impair motor function, like if you know you want to go drive or work. Mm-hmm. Or and this work. is just just for the CBD component. This is just okay. CBD. Okay. And that's why it's popular because it it has a favorable safety profile. It doesn't impair motor function. It doesn't get you high or euphoric. Um, and uh, they just they did just the legality aspect of it has prevented this, and it's just crazy. It, is that something that you think? Well. Before we get into your personal experience with, with you know, for lack of a better term, jumping through hoops to, to be able to conduct this research, but do you get the notion that, that studies like this may collectively help to, to move the goalposts a little bit and, and make this, I, I would argue that you know, as far as being socially acceptable, it's much more socially acceptable now than it was even 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, but is there is there a possibility or any any well, indication that the, legally the goalposts are beginning to move? The big problem is the the regulation of it is 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 not good. Okay. And it's haphazardly regulated and so you don't know what you're getting. So, so it could be drops of CBD or it could be camel urine. You exactly. have no idea. Okay. And if you go down to the corner store and you buy some there or whether you order it online you have to be an educated consumer. So you have to do your homework. So perchance, if you go to the corner store, that might not be as good of a product as if you order it online with a company that lists all their safety practices. Mm. They have their certificates of analyses. They've analyzed the product. Here's what's in it. There's no pesticides. There's no... the microbiology is clean, things right. like that. Well, and there are differences state by state still, right? Because what you're talking about with, with the DEA, that's, that's at the, that's, that's a federal. federal level. Yeah. But various states have different laws also. They so do. How do they, it's, but so being I'm, at a public university, you, you ha- obviously have to go by the federal yeah, laws, right? So, so we have medical marijuana in Florida, as does other states. Some states have recreational, they legalize recreational use, mm-hmm. which I think is a good thing because then it gets regulated. Then you then you 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 analyze it and you know what you're putting in your body, mm-hmm. and that's the big thing with CBD is uh, there's only one in the United States. There's only one CBD product that's that's marketed, okay, and that's that's federally regulated, and um, that's Epidiolex. And, and so, well, that's a, and that sounds like a medication. It is. is. It? Okay. It's a medicine okay. or drug. They say it's a right, drug, right? But it's gone through all the regulatory processes to where they know now that, you know, this is it. It's in this bottle. This is what's in it. It's safe mm-hmm. if you use it within a recommended dose range or whatever. Um, and they've done the study. They've done the, the, they've gone through clinical the trials phase three, and, yeah. Yeah, phase one, okay. phase two, phase three. I mean, you've seen all the coronavirus stuff and, the, you know, and now they need to get phase three. They've done phase right. one, phase two. Now they get, Well, they recently just had to pump the brakes and, and actually stop and research that, for, yeah. And, and that's okay because you see that and you got to pump the brakes and find out. Is this 
because of the product or is this is there some other reason? Well, and, and this is a little bit of a side note. Um, obviously, you can't go anywhere without hearing about coronavirus, and this podcast is is no exception now. But uh, that's that's I think that's a sign that the process is working. If if you have some adverse event, some some strange reaction in a participant that you didn't expect, they have nothing to do whatsoever with whether it's the the COVID vaccine or Epidiolex or or whatever. But there's a mechanism in place to halt research, figure out what's going on, and then move forward. And right. I, you know, so just as a side note for for any of the science nerds and the the non-pain research people that are listening in, professionally, I think that's an indication that the process works. And this is, you know, there, there's a lot of time and effort that's gone into into this process of developing mm-hmm. vaccines and developing drugs and, and and testing their efficacy and their safety, going through the three phases of clinical trials. That kind of thing is a good thing. It's not. It's not an indication that that you know we go back to the drawing board or that this doesn't work. It's just it's part of the process that's right. inevitable. I don't. I don't know if if there's ever been a clinical trial that hasn't had to have been halted at some yeah, point for yeah. for an event, right? Yeah, and and um, you know, with that said, if if we look at CBD a little more closely, uh, and this is something I learned as I was going through the process, is that this drug Epidiolex, it's pure CBD. 99.9% pure. They call it an isolate. Okay. So it's pure CBD. There's nothing else in there. Whereas the product example, the, the product I want to use for my study is a hemp extract, which has a whole slew of minor cannabinoids, one of them being CBD, but there's other cannabinoids in different concentrations, as well as other products like terpenes is another. So what are, what are the advantages and disadvantages of using something like that, which seems harder to control if, if for whatever right. reason you get, you notice a difference between the people that take it and the people that don't, well, then you, is it harder to say, well, this was because of the CBD or was maybe because of one of these other compounds? Right. That, and that's what they want to look at is, okay, is CBD it? Or if we manipulate the concentrations of the other minor cannabinoids. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole slew, and they all start with C, and there's B, and there's D's, <laughs> and there's G's, and there's N. So they have funky names. Right. Um, but f- what they know right now is the two, the THC and the CBD. Those are the two major ones that they've studied and they know more about. The other ones are typically derivatives of the major cannabinoids or precursors to the major cannabinoids. And they're typically in trace amounts in the, in the hemp extract. So if you look at the hemp extract, it's probably four, it can be four to six percent CBD, typically less than one percent or one percent of the minor cannabinoids. It has to be less than a percentage, 0.8 or 0.3 percent THC, right. in order to be l- legal or acceptable to use. And and at that level, sorry to interrupt, but is at that at that level? Um, and you said 0.8 to 0.3. Percent. Of a percent. Percent. Right. Yes. So not not three to eight percent. Less than a percent. Yeah, less than a percent. At that at that concentration, would anybody expect to see any of those well, those psychotropic effects or or? So you have the the then this is another thing I learned is this hemp extract is full spectrum. Okay. Or broad spectrum, full spectrum. You uh, they want this they call it the entourage. They want to have the all the elements of the cannabis plant, the hemp plant, all the extracts. Mm-hmm. Um, Whereas the broad spectrum, so so at a full spectrum, you can have 0.8 or less t- percent THC. 
Now, the broad spectrum means you get rid of the THC, so you have to have less than 0.3. I see. Okay. So, but still not, still not to the level of an isolate where there's nothing else other than that. Right. And so, so, gives a so when you say 0.8, could someone potentially feel some psychoactive effects? of Potentially. Not usually, but potentially. Okay. You, know, you have someone that never tried cannabis before in their life and that was the first time they might well because this interacts with a, a natural receptor in the body obviously right. that's why you see an effect and that's why so thc acts on a, a group of receptors cbd typically reacts on another group of receptors a, a different, different group okay. different group okay more obscure they don't know but they think it so there's cb1 cb cannabinoid one receptors and cannabinoid two receptors cannabinoid cannabinoid one are in the central nervous system mm -hmm. so the brain spinal cord and thc really likes those those receptors cb1 cb2 is more peripheral and they involve the immune cells white blood that's why they think cannabin uh, cannabidiol cbd is is an anti-inflammatory or has anti-inflammatory properties because it has an affinity for the CB2 receptors, which is on those cells. Okay. So it can affect release of those inflammatory mediators or signaling. And do, do you find proteins. either of those CB1 or CB2 receptors on sensory neurons? Yeah. Um, you know, for, okay, mm -hmm. okay. Any cell type. Okay, oh wow. Any, uh, and so th it's not limited to a specific cell type or tissue type. No. It could be fascinating. Yeah. So, I guess let me ask this, is, is there a benefit then, or do you think there would be a benefit, or are you doing this in your study to look at, in comparison, a, a control group, somebody that's, that's taking a, a placebo mm -hmm. in more the traditional sense, you know, as opposed to what we uh, were discussing yeah, earlier. The sugar pill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're, they're taking, you know, something, and in this case, it, I, it's oral, drops under the tongue, right? Sublingual, yeah. Sublingual. So you, you put, put these sublingual drops in, and it's, there's no, any, there's no... Um, I guess cannabis extract of any kind is that the best way to say it, right? In a control, and yes. then in one group you've got something that would be a, and you said the broad spectrum yeah. is okay. So, so, so the extract is put into is an oil, it's an oil-based compound. Okay, tincture. They, they call it a tincture, which tincture. is in, in the little bottle. Same, a, same as a vehicle for those that are in other other disciplines, like if yeah. it's in a in a dropper yeah. and you yeah. just put it on your tongue. Okay. So the placebo is basically just the uh, oil. Mm -hmm. Uh, with no other product. So, so I guess what I was going to say is, so say you, you compare an oil versus an oil that's got the CBD in it versus Epidiolex, which it's, a, you know, the isolate. Mm -hmm. So could you then look at, you know, and is that something that you're doing in this study or is no, that maybe something you're saving for later? Well, I mean, obviously there's... Yeah, the, the isolate Epidiolex is a drug, so it's expensive. Ah. Um, the, the, the hemp extracts... See, I want to replicate what you can get online. So I have a company that I work with. We have an agreement to they're going to supply the product. We're putting it through the FDA to try to get a, an IND, an investigational new drug mm -hmm. approval, which allows us to use. So f this company, they produce this product, and they have different concentrations. So there's a high dose, there's a low dose. So I'm trying to replicate that. So my low dose for the study is similar to the low dose you would buy online. The high dose is similar to the high dose you would buy online. Mm -hmm. And then the placebo, which is separate. That's, but you need that as your control. So the subjects know that. They, they know they, they have the potential to get an active ingredient mm -hmm. or the placebo. You have to tell them that in the consent form. Right, right. So there and is, then do you let them know after the, after, the study which after, one they had? Yeah. yeah okay. after, you can ask them, say, do you think you got the real right. product? And, 
but because but because of the cost of of something like the epidiolex it's kind of prohibitive but yeah. you're saying and this, also and these, that and these are pretty i don't, I don't want to say they're they're inexpensive mm-hmm. they can be pricey but it, it's not like when i I was going to use Epidiolex because I can, because right. it's legal, because it's marketed. I'm like, cool, I can use Epidiolex. Uh, I went to the, the pharmacy here on campus, and they gave, they gave me the price list. I'm like, ah, I yeah. don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and so like you said, you, you're trying to do something that's, that has a lot of uh, you know, validity being you know, applicable to something that somebody just in, in everyday life yes. would go and get. So they and say, oh, well, this study shows this. I'm going to try it. So if it's if epidiolex is expensive for you, then it's likely expensive for someone else. And would they also need a prescription for that, yeah, or is it a different kind of prescription? Or? And that's interesting too. So epidiolex, since it's been regulated and it's marketed, it's Schedule Five. It's not Schedule One. Any, it's not the CBD is not put on the Schedule One. It's Even done, though it's, it's much more CBD is the same concentrated yeah. per se. Yeah, CBD is CBD. Right. However you slice it up. But there's but, m- but there's more of it in the epidiolex. If you know, say you, you yes. have a you know a couple drops of whatever, it's pure. Yeah. But, I mean, these other companies make isolates too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, they, not just epidiolex. Other companies. I'm not studying the, the isolates. I'm looking at the right because that's more what people are going to get. So is this uh, outside of epidiolex something that's been through the FDA and all that? Is is this akin to like the 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 nutritional and and exercise supplement industry where? It's a proprietary blend of sure. whatever, and, and they don't really have to disclose how much, or or do they? Well, they, they should in their their certificate of analyses. You see the concentrations, and they they should post that on. They the should, product. but like you were mentioning, going down to the corner not store not where you can get does. this. Yeah, so so it's not required to for. Yeah. So if okay. you go to the website, you know the company they they, they list here's my here's mm-hmm. the the COA certificate of analysis, and it lists, and then it shows you know the the, the pesticides, the microbials. Right. And um, that just goes to the safety profile and the fact that it's it's a true hemp extract product and right. not it doesn't contain a bunch of junk, which other stuff does. And I think you know, for for the sake of professionalism, uh, you know, I should point out that that we're not recommending that anybody go out and get anything, but um, I think it's important to point out that yeah. that that information is available. Right. You know, if, if for people that are that are you know, getting these things, it, it I think it's important to understand that. There are some sources that that you can, you know, whether it's online, like you said, or you can purchase that have some kind of third party analysis mm-hmm. that, that certifies yeah, the party. contents, right? Mm-hmm. That so it's unbiased, and by third party, I mean right. that's you know, it's it's not you as the consumer, it's it's not the person that, that manufactures or, or you know, or produces the uh, the supplement, if you if you want to call it that at this point, I guess. Um, some testing company, that's... right? It's somebody else that's not biased. Now, they don't have a stake in the game. Yeah. Right? With that said, some companies. They, they make their own third party. Right. So you could you could have you could have, you could be the the Paul Borsa CBD factory. Yeah. And, and, that, and uh, so you have to be careful with that. That right. You know, the, the third party you use is really a third party. You know, not yeah. hey. Yeah. Wink, so wink, not, pa- not. Paul Borsa CBD factory and the hey I'm not Paul Borsa really CBD <laughs> testing company. Yeah. And, then, and, they, yeah. Yeah, and then you hire yourself to play with yeah. The name. yeah. Right, right. Right. Got it. Okay. Um, so where do you see this going then? Um, you know, you're talking right now about something that, that's available to everybody, but it's really CBD-based, um, little to no THC, I, I think yeah. is a good way to say this, and we talked about values, and but what comes next? Let me, let me say this. The, the government has a patent on CBD. Mm. So they have, they have really big interests in this. So they've patented. Now CBD is naturally occurring. 
Yeah, it's part of the hemp extract. So how yeah. how have they uh, how have they patented? Uh, is it have they patented the process for extracting it, or They've, patented the compound yeah, that's itself? A, that's that's the good question. It is typically they they patent it for a particular mechanism of action, which okay. is neuroprotection. Okay. So they have it. So that's why uh, Epidiolex is good for seizure disorders because it's neuroprotective. Mm. Um, I can see it going into concussions. I can see them going to uh, concussion therapies um we said because there's an inflammation component too right anti-inflammatory yeah. um but this neuroprotective effect mm -hmm. and it's alzheimer any of those neurodegenerative diseases parkinson's mm -hmm. alzheimer's mm -hmm. and i think they're saving it for that so they're very protective of this that's why you know i'm finding that this is this is a hard there's many hoops and they're well, hard to get through and in this case i'm not feigning ignorance i'm genuinely surprised that the, that the fda is i assume it's the fda that's patented the cbd right when it comes to the government or it's not it's um it's not the fda i mean they, they're, they're all relate they're all right, under right. the same umbrella but some federal agency has patented cbd which is yeah. a naturally occurring compound that, yeah. that you so you know i guess that makes me wonder is anybody patented water yet because i would like to patent water for well, treatment of thirst. They've patented <laughs> different types of water. Right, right. So that that seems, um, you know, I, I should probably be uh, somewhat cautious in saying so, but that's uh, that's a little spurious. That's yeah, that's kind of interesting. So what you said before, where is it going from here mm -hmm. in terms of how this is going to advance the, the knowledge, the better practice, best practices of it? Is that right. what you're... What yeah, you're, well, I mean, well, so you... you and obviously, you, you don't know what kind of data you're going to see from this. You have your predictions as far as what yeah. your CBD product will do uh, at, a, at a lower dosage, at a higher dosage, when compared to this control group, this placebo group. Let's go ahead and say that you find uh, you know, a, a dose-dependent response. Okay. The, the higher dose helps pe people more in um, you know, reducing the anxiety and maybe reducing the pain, getting them back into action after this, this quote-unquote yeah. injury. The, the interesting thing is they found that the lower doses help better with anxiety and the higher doses are better with, with uh, anti-inflammatory effects. Interesting, yeah. interesting. And so the, the higher doses don't have the same effect on anxiety as the lower doses? That's what they found. They're yeah. showing kind of that biphasic curve. Interesting, yeah. interesting. So let's say you, you, you find these differences. Well, that's great. Is as far as you on a personal level, and I'm not even talking about you know globally the the CBD research in pain and anxiety, just you personally. Let's say that this is a hit. Yeah. Are you would you, would you do you right. want to pivot to being a, a, a CBD or a cannabis researcher sure. from this point? Is this something the, that the uh, NIH is very interested in this? Um, they, they have out they have announcements out, uh, special interest announcements, and. Uh, you know they want to. They want research to be done. They're part of the. You know they fall under the umbrella of the government too, mm -hmm. um, and so you know you, they know yet it has to be regulated and things like that. But they have, they have a very acute interest in because it's plant based. The big thing is the opioid epidemic right. and you know cannabinoid, opioid. They're, they're, I call them the oids. The oids <laughs> right. and they, they're similar. I mean they. They, it's a competition for receptor sites, basically. Mm -hmm. Cannabinoids have their receptors, but they also could interact with the opioid receptors. And they can modulate. So there's, they, they know that there's an interactive effect. So do you think that it would be, and, and just you know, kind of spitballing here, do you think that, so obviously we have an opioid epidemic, like yeah. you said. And, 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 
and see, that's the, that's the difference. Opioids cause a dependency. Right, the right. The cannabinoids, they haven't found any dependency, physical dependency. Well, there's all, there's a there's a, a, a plethora of side effects um, associated totally. with opioids also, you well, know, that's with why respiration and, and so on Don't operate so heavy equipment or drive, you well, know. Uh, yeah, even aside from, you know, it, just for you know, to put it in layman's terms, you know, mental clarity, cognitive yeah. clarity, obviously it puts you in a fog and, exactly. um, you know, it, it, but, but aside from that, you know, there are other Which cannabis could do. Sure. <laughs> Depending on what, what tincture you're, exactly. uh, you're using, <laughs> but, um, but with opioids, you know, there are other, other issues as well. You know, you have to, to be very cautious with regard to, um, to ventilation and, you know, some of the respiratory musculature and, and, sure. uh, um, what not as side effects. Those are, are, are pretty predominant side effects. What they're really interested in is if you are taking opioids, can you supplement with cannabinoids and that can wean them off of That's the opioids. That's what I was going to ask. So yeah. that uh, they can, one, wean off and and the supplement can have beneficial therapeutic effects. So maybe you do half and half. Right, Half right. cannabinoids, half opioids. And then kind of titrate it down yeah. as far as the opioid yeah. content to, to wean them yeah. off of that and, and, and thus eliminate their dependency but yeah. still get the pain relief like effects, right? The, the one um, slide that I had, which showed the, uh, in, the, in the dorsal horn and the spinal cord mm-hmm. and all those uh, neural pathways where they synapse in the dorsal horn and they have all the receptors and different re- uh, types of, uh, some, some are opioids, some are serotonergic, mm-hmm. adrenergic, and they never showed the cannabinoid right. receptors. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I'm like, well, throw those in there and then we'll, you know, See what Show happens. how that there's this whole interactive effect. I'm sure. Sure, and and that and that all that all lends to, you know, what we call endogenous pain modulation, exactly, right? It's yeah. it's our it's well, our own ability. Even if you don't take in anything from the outside, it's our own ability well, to alter how we are perceiving the pain that we may be experiencing. The big secret is so we have the endogenous opioids, mm-hmm. uh, the, the endorphins. We know that we right. highlight that. Oh yeah, the runner's high. That's the endorphins. Well, now they're saying, no, no, there's an endogenous cannabinoid system that parallels the, the opioid, mm-hmm. endogenous opioid system. But they never talk about the endogenous cannabinoids. Which, I mean, if you look at, uh, if you look at the opioids, those are all Schedule One narcotics also, correct? No. I mean, oh, they're not? No. That's the thing. If you look at the slide, you can see, you know, well, they have heroin. heroin right, right, right. But they have, you know, marijuana. Uh, LSD, but let's mescaline. say I wanted to get hydrocodone, then, for example. That's low. That's like two. Then, the, then that runs. Uh, there's that range of two, three, four mm-hmm. down there. But they're not five. So you can get oxy, right? You know, uh, with a certain prescription that you wouldn't need for. You wouldn't need a level one physician to prescribe mm. oxy to you. But if you're going to get cannabis, you need a uh, level one or schedule one physician. So it kind of sounds. It kind of sounds like um, you know this this concept of scheduling these. Drugs uh, needs to be revisited. It, it seems like it's a little, little bit all over the place. Um, People have been screaming off the rooftops about that. <laughs> yeah, and they just and a lot of it's it's political. A lot of it. Well, because money's involved, politics. also, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, it goes all the way to the top. And, and what's what surprises me is. Um, you know, for the longest time, it seems like people have been talking. This is a little bit off the science topic, but people have been saying, "Well, you know, we war on drugs." You know, back to the the Reagan administration and, and before, but this concept of, well, you know, what what if what if you regulate it, so you can find out what's in it, yeah, 
tax it so you can make money off it. And now states are beginning to do this to, yeah. to an extent, right? They and, are. Colorado, and the, Oregon. And some of the, the people that you would not expect. Uh, just earlier, I was listening to an interview with Mike Tyson, you know, leading up to his, his big fight in November. Um, yeah. uh, Roy Jones Jr. Not, yeah, Roy Jones Jr., right? Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah, I think it's... Oh, it's Merriweather, isn't it? No, no, I think I think it's Roy, Roy Jones Jr. Okay. Either way, two, two heavyweight... Um, Champs, former champs, are, are going to go at it. But Mike Tyson, I don't know if you knew this or not. 50, yeah, fifty, yeah, fifty-four, fifty-six. But did, did you know yeah, he no, also know. has a mm-hmm. he has a, a huge, marijuana huge ranch yeah. where he's growing and selling and producing. You know, yeah, and all California kinds of is legal. Yeah. yeah, they have yeah. recreation. Yeah, so it's involved in that. Clearly lucrative. If, Very if, lucrative. Yeah. If you do it right, you yeah. have to do it right, and and they they regulate you out the wazoo. Mm-hmm. But if you can. Navigate those waters, you but, can do all right. But then there's some intricacies to this also because of the federal regulations. Uh, and I don't know if this has changed, right. but I, I had to go out um, for, for a conference out in Colorado not too long ago, uh, a year or so ago. And, uh, and you, you know, you have these green, it's like the first aid sign, only it's green, right? Mm-hmm. The green cross, and they're everywhere, these dispensaries. But, and, and you, maybe you can help me with this. I knew at least at that point, all of those dispensaries were unable to keep their money in a bank. They have to have you know vaults and whatnot yeah, because yeah, they yeah. because they're they're not allowed to federally insure the money that they hold in a bank, so the banks won't take it's, it. It's weird. I mean, at the federal level, it's illegal. Yeah. The states level, it's legal, but. The government's happy to take your tax money, <laughs> you know, bring, to, take, bring the, it take the tax money, but we're not going to insure the, the profits that you yeah, make off it's it. It's just, it's crazy. And it's, it's got to change. It will. And they, and, and theoretically, they still could, the federal government, if they decided to, to do a lockdown on Colorado, they, they, they could that. come in and bust everybody. They could do that, but. Yeah. Well, I mean, why would they, but yeah. Why would they? And they don't have the yeah. person power. And, sure, sure. And so, um, and just in closing, looking ahead a little bit, um, for, for you personally, is there I guess in, in stages, the, my first question would be, is there any other pain treatment now, whether it's you know a, a supplement or a drug or a method of, of pain treatment in the athletic realm that you think would maybe have a combined effect? There's a lot. In, in, in pain research, we're looking into a lot of combined therapies. Is there something that may go along with CBD that could um, either improve the effect of the CBD or maybe even have beyond a, a cumulative effect, a synergistic effect where one plus one equals three? That they're they're looking at the synergy between cannabinoids one that's you know, within the plant itself. But mm-hmm. I mean, there's other products like kava, is uh, it's from a, a, a root of a plant. Okay. And that's shown to have anti-inflammatory and analgesic. And they they've made uh, the Polynesians have been consuming that for for ages. It's legal. It's just a plant. I mean, is it anything that's controlled? From a root, it, yeah, it's yeah. Ex- root extract. Okay. And, and they make a drink out of it, and they've been swearing by it for ages that it helps reco- recover and uh, makes you feel better. And so, I mean, there's other botanical type mm-hmm. products out there, whether that could be combined. And Do you feel enough. that, and I guess I, I said I had two questions, but this is a third, actually. Do you, what, what does the research say as far as prophylactically using CBD. Um, now, you were talking about with, with anxiety and whatnot, but that's, uh, you know, I, I mean with regard to, um, you know, injury or injury well, recovery or even just exercise If recovery. it's neuroprotective, maybe it could be myoprotective. Mm-hmm. Maybe it could protect muscle from damage. That's, I mean, that's another thing I want to, I'm interested in looking at. But, you know, got to go step by step. Right, right. But maybe by that could be something that could uh, be prophylactic in terms of reducing the magnitude of an injury or 
the extent of an injury, and that goes back to recovery okay. and helping with recovery. So, so and, and then, of course, the, the gorilla in the room, you know, in, in the last few minutes that we have, at what point <laughs> do you bring THC into the equation to Hopefully, see? Hopefully, yeah, as soon as, yeah. you, as possible, <laughs> ASAP. Are you speaking personally or professionally? <laughs> <laughs> Both. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, uh, the, they've done research in that area and found positive medicinal effects but that's worse than cbd because you know that there's a one there's the stigma behind consuming sure sure. don't be a pothead or you know um but the fact that it it does alter your level of consciousness it impairs motor function and things Mm -hmm. like that so you got to be really careful about that well and and, but in in a lot of ways and just to play play devil's advocate on this you had mentioned with uh, with opioids, you know, it always says on the bottle, don't operate heavy equipment That's and whatnot. What they, yeah. But the fact Same of the matter thing. is, is we, and, and you see this in, in traffic laws, I think is a really good example of this because not everybody's going to jump out and, and, you know, run a bulldozer or a crane. But cars heavy equipment. And that's, that's some everyday stuff. So, yeah. um, you know, some of the impairment can be on par with having a few too many drinks. So I think that definitely muddies the water. But it's yeah. not like we don't have you know, societally, an example of how to deal with a substance that is legal beyond a certain age without prescription, I'm speaking of alcohol here, and this yeah. is, I'm not the first to make this, this comparison or sure. argument, but, but we have, you know, we have a, a infrastructure in place to address that with regard to safety and what you can and cannot do. And then, you know, consequences if you violate those rules. Um, so it seems like, the stigma, once you get past the stigma of THC uh, or, you know, some kind of you know, full spectrum cannabis use of, of any kind, that at least there's there's a, a, a framework in place that yeah. you can say, OK, well, this is this is how we regulate it. This is who is allowed to use it. This is who's not. And this is, you know, you can test it in, in the blood the same way you can test, you know, like a blood alcohol yeah. using a breathalyzer. I don't think you use a breathalyzer for, for cannabis, but... Um, yeah, so there's there's stuff in place. So is it really just the stigma you think that, that, yeah. that needs to I mean, get there's passed? the medical marijuana is they put it in constant, like, you know, they can balance the, the concentrations of the different mm-hmm. levels of the cannabinoids. And um, so that when they're using, they're not, you know, getting baked and they're laying on the couch, <laughs> that they can right. do their job. Right. So that they just need to do that. I mean, you know, and then, and that's the, so the next thing is to look at, the entourage effect of the blend of different mm-hmm. THC, you know, four parts THC, four parts CBD, and maybe two parts CBG or something else. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where I see... And send the participants home with a, a bag of Doritos so they can hit the couch. <laughs> <laughs> see, now you're getting back to the st- The stigma, stigma. Yep, yeah. yeah. Guilty as charged. Guilty as charged. <laughs> well, hey, this is a great conversation, and I'm sure that it was... Uh, just as informative for for everybody listening as it was for me. Um, I think what we have to do is once you've gone a little ways further um, in this research, we've got to have you back on and and see what you find out. You could hear that. Well, thank you again. And and until next time. All right. right. Party on. Thank you for joining this episode of The Price of Pain. Opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of the host and guests and not representative of the University of Florida or parent institutions of our guests, unless specifically stated. 
You can find more information about Price on the World Wide Web at price.ctsi.ufl.edu. And keep up with our researchers on social media by searching Facebook for UF Price, by following at UF underscore pain on Twitter, and Price of Pain podcast, all one word, on Instagram.